Hey everybody, it's Mikey D. Welcome to my stoop. It feels like yesterday when we roamed this lost world. A little town amidst a giant city. Quiet, crazy, wild, and sometimes lonely. Never boring, yet at times it was. It was a place where characters roamed and lived bizarre tales. Yet these were not works of mythology, and it's all tattooed on my mind. So sit back, and let me tell you the stories of this ancient city. Let's hang out together on the Stoops of Atlantis. Look out. Easy reader, that's my name. I can actually remember the magic moment when I realized I knew how to read. I was sitting with my sister Donna and she was working with me, helping me pronounce words when I hit potholes along the sentence roadways of a kid's chapter book. Then something incredible happened. It was as if a veil was lifted. These strange sequences of letters, each 126th of the alphabet, that I had memorized in that oh-so-familiar song with an L-M-N-O-P bridge in it, morphed from a mystery to clarity. I felt the words form in my mouth, and then I spoke each. It became easier quickly. I was reading. I can still remember the joy I felt as my sister cheered me on. It was like when I first learned to ride a bike behind Benjamin Franklin High School, or when I found myself improving with a pentatonic scale on guitar. I had learned a skill, a skill that would serve me well forever. fantastic habit that was passed down from my mom and dad. They always had at least one book going. My dad usually two or three. I tried writing my first at the age of five. And even at that age, I had a satirical leaning. And I began this book called The Funny Book of the Body. It was a humorous examination of the, well, the, the humorous and other hilarious body parts. I recall one chapter, about a half a page in length, about that little dude we all had in our ears that pounded out rhythms on our, you know, on your eardrum. Yeah, it was silly. But how many books did you write before you were sex, huh? Hmm? Yeah? Hmm? That's what I thought. My dad was my first editor. And he would, even at that age, critique my work honestly. I remember crying once because he said, Mike, it could be better. And after stepping away, I admitted to myself that, yeah, he was right. He would also read to us every night. These are some of my great memories and why I'm such a Dr. Seuss fan. Me and my younger sisters, Laura and Chrissy, would cuddle up with him on his bed, and he would, using different voices, read classics like Hop on Pop and the ABC book, and my favorite Dr. Seuss tale, and to think that I saw it on Mulberry Street. Another of my favorites was The King with Six Friends, my first dive into the fantasy adventure genre. And he would read it up to the midpoint and then say, Okay, kids, bedtime. Part two tomorrow night. And we'd all groan and moan and head to bed. And I would dream of the bizarre Seussian world of strange creatures, but mostly the hilarious and memorable lexicon of the genius that was Theodore Seuss Geisel. With all due respect to Vonnegut and Tolkien, no other writer had a bigger impact on my own writing 
than the good doctor. I mean, just read my books, Milky Way Marmalade or the Rupert Starbright series, and you'll quickly see my love of inventing words, goofy and silly words that seem to be shaped with colorful play-doh, yet infused with specific meaning, and original language. Well, then again, as I think about it, John Ronald and Kurt were pretty good at inventing words as well. My house was full of books on numerous bookcases, each with its own personality and collection of tomes. My dad had his own bookshelf built into the headboard on his side of the bed. He had more than a bunch of books and other bookcases, but the recent reads were always within reach right above his pillow. He read a lot of science fiction, and he would often pass the books to me when he was done. There were a few I hadn't read, and I remember once checking one of the books. It was a volume of Hugo-winning short stories. One of the tales, the name I wish I could remember because I would love to contact the author, had one of the best similes I had ever read, especially to the mind of a ten-year-old boy. The paragraph was describing a woman undressing, and the line read, Her breasts tumbled out like children at recess. I never forgot that line. As Nigel Tufnell would say, classic. This is a top to a... You know what we use on stage, but it's very, very special because if you can see, yeah, the numbers all go to eleven. Across the headboard on my mom's side were her nighttime reads. She leaned more towards mysteries, but she had some steamy romantic books that this borderline pubescent eyes would peruse for the uh, <clears throat> dirty stuff. If encyclopedias were like shoes, maybe it wouldn't hurt so much when your kids outgrow them. Well, that's why the new Britannica 3 is such an advance in learning. It's the one encyclopedia your kids won't outgrow. A young child can use Britannica 3. High schoolers, too. College students, the very same set. It's all here for all the family. Now, the best is even better. New Britannica 3. One size fits all. See our offer in this week's TV Guide. In the hallway near the main entrance was where the reference books lived, and they were cool. You see, back in the 70s and even in the 80s, we were far away from the crazy idea of being able to pray to the Google gods for wisdom. We had reference books, big, fat, heavy, hard-covered tomes, dripping with info and full-color photos and artwork. It started with the Golden Book Encyclopedia for kids. Any of you remember those? It was a preschool-level book, and it was a perfect collection of good stuff that kids should know. A way to fill the tank, so to speak, to have a heads-up when school began. And of course, there was the set of Britannica encyclopedias, old and dusty. I could still smell the scent of the old paper, but man, they were fun to explore. From amoeba to zoology, this is how we scrolled through pages of data. It was the information superhighway frozen on high-quality paper. And, and they were old. So I think the, the flag in the F section had like 47 states or something, and if you pulled up the periodic table, I doubt Nobelium or Americium or... Did I say it? Americium. I wonder what the heck you make with Americium. Anyway, I don't think you make coins out of it. Anyway, uh, any of those mid-20th century elemental discoveries were doubtfully on, on in that old book. But browsing through them was a zen pursuit. Cozied up on the sofa and absorbing knowledge in the guise of being entertained. Or vice versa. And do you remember the Time, Life, Nature, and Science Library series of books? I mean, who needed TV? These books were packed with great photos of outer space or deep under the ocean or deep, deep inside the guts of a cell. I loved slowly turning the pages of these books, my eyes wide and bright. The purest form of education happens when you're not aware you're learning. When joy is the motivation, the mind is like a sponge. So my parents were smart. They knew the value of leaving this stuff around the house. They knew we would partake without needing to be prodded. 
Warning in my house was as natural as eating or arguing. I love reading the dictionary. Well, perusing it. I mean, what book is better? If I had to pick one book from my Lost on a Desert Island reading list, it would be Webster's Classic, because every other book is in it. You want to read Vonnegut? Well, you might not find Ice Nine, but a search will give you the word Ice and the word Nine. Alright, so it takes some work. Do I have to do it all for you? Jeez. I've always been a logophile. I love odd and peculiar words. The last dictionary in my grade school was Zweeback. It's a kind of cracker thingy. And flipping through the pages, special words would blaze out from the others. Cool words, like bitch and ass and piss and c**k. Hey, when you're 10, you look up curse words. During the late 70s, World Book put out a gorgeous set of encyclopedias. In fact, a salesman actually came to our house and pitched it to my parents. He had one of the volumes with him, and I watched as my dad felt its red leather or fall leather cover, and when he opened it, I drooled at the brilliant ink, vibrant and alive. I remember on the biology pages, there were these cool layers of celluloid, each with a different biological system that you could peel away until all that was left was a bare skeleton. I mean, to my nine-year-old eyes, this was wild and crazy alchemy. Magic technology. I mean, Dad, we gotta get these books. But alas, they were kind of out of the price range of a household with five kids. So the Britannica and the Time Wife books would suffice. To a child who doesn't read, the world is a closed book. Drifting, the best day of school, back, aside from the last day, was when we were handed a magical scholastic book catalog. I mean, I had a couple of shelves of books in my room, but like any bibliophile knows, reaching the correct amount of books in a collection is like plotting a parabola. You just never hit that axis. I mean, you could always add one more, and you get closer and closer to the goal of a perfect library, but... Nah, you could always add one more. I'd be all smiles, scanning through the choices of science fiction, mysteries, mythology, or space books. And my parents would let me order a few, and then there'd be the waiting game. Once you start a child reading, there's no stopping. If America is to grow up thinking, reading is fundamental. Until that day when that parcel arrived, and I watched at the edge of my seat as Miss McDermott unboxed the shiny new treasures. I could still smell the essence of new books as I carried my little stack back to my desk. There would also be a book sale once a year where we could peruse tables of used books for a few cents each. Any chance to add to my collection was a good day for me. For free book borrowing, well, Holy Rosary had a small library. In fact, my mother was its librarian for a number of years, and she transformed a disordered mess into a smooth-running, well-organized place where his kids could borrow from its old but pretty nicely diverse collection of books. I tended towards the books on Greek mythology and outer space or dinosaurs, and the Hardy Boys collection became an addiction, and I devoured them. And it also set me off on one of my only experimentations with criminality. 
Yeah, me and my buddy Howard heisted one adventure at a time. The entire epic collection. And I was busted. For the gory and hilarious details, go back to episode 12, The Great Hardy Boys Heist. Yeah, it takes a real criminal genius to steal books from a library where your mother is the librarian. Oh, you think with all the reading, I'd be a little brighter than that. But I really love the Hardy Boys books, and I would binge read them. If I had a sick day, I would lie in bed and devour multiple volumes. Comic books also joined the curriculum of my own joyous self-education and entertainment. Go back to episodes 44 and 45 for those colorful tales. Tonight on The Hardy Boys, the mystery of the Hollywood Phantom. Crimson flames tied through my... We live in the age of the Kindle, you know, digital readers. Now, I do confess to using one simply because it saves my eyes a bit. I mean, I have great long-range eyesight, but that small print in low light, well, I need the cheaters. So a Kindle does help, but there is really nothing better than holding a book. The feel, the smell, and walking into a bookstore is like a candy land to me. There have been a great few bookstores that have made my life better over the years. There was one on 3rd Avenue and 86th Street whose name escapes me. This kid here would spend his allowance and birthday money there often. I would beeline into the science fiction and fantasy sections, and I never went home empty-handed. My favorite bookstore, probably of all time, was Coliseum Books on the corner of 57th and Broadway. It was a sad day when it closed, but I had spent many a lunch hour at various midtown jobs in those magical aisles. So, with all this reading, it was natural that I would begin writing my own stories. It was a calling, a love, a passion, a need. And I always have multiple books going, from a diverse sea of interests. And as my own bibliography expands, I hope some kid somewhere is reading The Adventures of Rupert Starbright and is inspired to to give up a chance at a secure future as a lawyer or a hedge fund manager and become a storyteller. The world is blessed and made greater by our stories. Real ones from our own histories, or imagined from the lands of our imaginations. And this has inspired me to start a new Stoop series, Stoop Tales, fictionalized adventures of the old hood. So now you'll have two sides of Mikey D, continuing true stories and the other wilder and more embellished tales, all told on, around and about, those stoops of Atlantis. So I hope you enjoyed the uh, Library of Atlantis episode. And like I mentioned, uh, yeah, I'm going to be starting this new uh, new little experiment. I'm going to try some fictionalized stories uh, about about East Harlem. They'll they'll be based in that milieu, but uh, they'll be be, uh, embellished or just outright made up. (laughs) Uh, Just just as a little uh, diverse, uh, a little experiment a little flex my writing muscles in, in different ways um so you know keep an eye out for those and uh, like as always please uh, thank you so much for listening but if you can help spread the word write a review or you know like it or maybe share it on facebook or whatever on the other social media platforms you're on uh, just to share the link or just talk to your friends hey you want to hear a good podcast about nostalgia and the old neighborhood or uh, you don't have to be from the old neighborhood to enjoy these you know i know there are people in middle america who enjoy these uh and the south you know i've got friends from small towns in the south who who listen in every episode even from other you know other countries so um yeah 
do me that favor because uh, I'm going to continue to grow the audience and I will continue to create new stories and rack my memory for uh, for, for, for memories. You know, you start wondering, hmm, can I, am I going to run out of memories uh, from the whole neighborhood? So if you have any, if you're from East Harlem and you can remember some stories, uh, it doesn't have to be, have included me, but if you, anything you remember, post it on the Facebook page and it might spark some memories or ideas. And uh, yeah, so enjoy and uh, we'll see you next time on the Stoops of Atlantis. Thanks for listening in to the Stoops of Atlantis with Mikey D. If you enjoyed this podcast, please take a moment to rate it on whatever app you're using. And you could also leave a message at the Facebook page or contact me at stoopsmail at yahoo.com. Until next time. Mm-hmm.